What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my man, Ryan Clark. RC, what you doing, my brother? Grilled cheese again? Every time I see you, you eating grilled cheese like your mama never made that for you when you was a kid. Man, what's going on? Well, one, my dad cooks, not my mom, so my mother never made that for me. And number two, DC, I'm a creature of habit, bro. I'm out here in Mount Laurel. Panera is close. I just order it over. I get my tomato soup, a grilled cheese, and a green tea. That is my post-show meal. Maybe if you got a little stricter on your post-show meal, you'd be back down to your fighting weight. Well, I'm going to say this. When I look at my face, I see no problems. And I like the way your mama run a household. She do a real good job. <laughs> Guys, coming up on the show, we're going to go back and look at UFC 295. Uncle Chael joins the show to talk to us about the main event. And um, Ryan and I are going to draft our top fighters from the first 30 years of mm. the UFC. But RC, last week I'm in Madison Square. You know that city loved me. Bro, it seemed like every time I walk the streets in New York, Alicia Keys just start playing in the background. The whole city <laughs> is just <laughs> up on their feet when I walk the street. <laughs> hey, every time, bro. But I'm in Madison Square. History always gets made there, RC. DC, and DC. Alex Pereira okay, did it DC. again. I have a question. I have a question. Didn't you used to work on Kobe Bryant's detail? Like where they sort of yes. just lock you in a dark room and you explain to the world mm -hmm. sort of what's going on in mixed martial arts? Yes. Have you forgotten how to do that? Because what the <laughs> hell is this, DC? This, this looks like a five-year-old trying to spell their name in cursive. Can you tell me what you were explaining <laughs> about Yuri Prohaska here, here? All right, RC, you ready? So... Yes. The former champion is not traditional. He is not what you normally expect in a fighter. So what I'm telling you is most fighters go uh, straight forward and they go backwards. Yuri Prohaska's up, down. He's left. He's right. He's switching stances. He's giving you fake jumping knees. But the moment he went at Vulcan Ozdemir and he landed the punch that knocked him out, it was a classic one-two, RC. So in all that craziness... To finish the fight was a one-two. So essentially what I'm trying to do is show you how unpredictable Yuri Prohaska could be. And that's why it looks like that. Because you know what else is unpredictable, RC? A first grader trying to write their name in cursive. You never know what you're going to get. And that's exactly what Yuri You see that, RC? You see that, RC? I like that. You boys are politicians. You see that, RC? DC, I'm going to tell you what. You talked about Yuri moving up, down, left, right, but eventually coming straight forward. That's exactly what happened in this fight with Alex Pereira. He was moving around. It was him staying on his feet. And I thought he confused Alex for a little while. And then eventually, the fight had to take place in the pocket. And we saw a right and then a quick left hook by Alex Pereira put Yuri Prohaska down. And then elbows to the side of the head eventually took him out. Going back to that moment in Madison Square Garden, you've been there for two of Alex Pereira's championship wins what was the feel in the arena once, once we realized, or once you realized, Alex Pereira again had gained the belt? You know what was crazy? It was when he came on the scene all night, right? So Yuri came dressed like a samurai. Alex had on a big gold chain with a nice suit. The crowd went crazy, bro. This guy has this champion aura about him. And it's, it's insane to think because he's just started. My nephew and him said... 
if I ever had to stand across the octagon from Alex Pereira, it would be the scariest thing I've ever done. They said, he is scary for no reason, Ryan. The dude, look at him. He's just staring. He looks like Easter Island a little bit with that big old head, and he's just staring at uh -huh. Yuri. Yuri doing all kind of weird stuff out there, and Alex is just staring at him. But the feeling was, we are truly in the midst of something special. This guy is a, we've never seen this type of fighter before type of fighter, and he's doing it at a rate that is so unexpected, and no one ever could have guessed that Alex Pereira could be who he is today in such a short period of time. So it just felt special. You could feel the yeah. magnitude of his accomplishment the moment Yuri Prohaska fell and the fight was over. You know what was crazy about it to me was Alex didn't look as aggressive as I've seen him in fights. You could tell Yuri's style sort of confused him, and he was trying to figure it out. But he has the great equalizer in combat sports, and that's power. And when yep. he touched Yuri, it wasn't one of those falls where it's like, the guy hit me so hard he knocked me off of my feet. It was the right connection in the right spot, and it shut the lights out. And then the elbows to finish him. When we were watching this fight in live speed, you could see a lot of tweets and a lot of people asking, was this fight stopped too quickly? And I saw it, and I put it on the group chat. You could tell he was out with the elbow that knocked him backwards. It just speaks to the power that Alex Pereira has in the pocket. But let's think about what this dude has accomplished in such a short period of time and then ask the question why. One, it's because, he, it was because of who he was in kickboxing. But more than anything, it was because who his nemesis and who his why was in the UFC. His nemesis and his why was Israel Adesanya. And it was Israel Adesanya's dominance that made us want to see Alex Pereira get that opportunity. And all he did in giving every opportunity is succeed, is dominate. And now to be a two-division champ this early in his UFC career is absolutely phenomenal. And to do it in the style he does it in, this is one of the scariest humans I've ever seen in my life. And I know for people like you, DC, for people like Yuri Prohatska, that doesn't resonate with y'all, right? But to me, there's like running backs, and then there's Adrian Peterson, right? There's linebackers, and then there's Ray Lewis. And so you think about yep, people yep. who play a certain position or who are involved in a certain sport that transcend the physicality of even a violent sport. And I feel like Alex Pereira is one of those guys and beating Yuri Prohaska just cemented that. And I think already this guy is a UFC Hall of Famer. Oh, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. That, that is not to be questioned. This guy in 11 fights, Ryan, you know, Chael, who's going to join us in a second. He's an orator of words and he will say anything. He told me, this might be the greatest amateur fighter we've ever seen. Because most times when you're 9-2, you are just finishing your amateur career. This guy's 9-2 and, and he's won two belts and one in the UFC in two weight classes, two of the heavier weight classes. His performance was so good to me because, one, in another fight he got taken down early and he was able to defend himself on the ground, not get submitted. He also forces you to fight fights that you know is not going to be beneficial to you. 
you know having to stand with Alex Pereira, at some point he's going to find a way to hurt you, whether it's with those brutal leg kicks or with his hands. He's going to find a way to hurt you, but you still are forced to stand with him. He also is a guy that knows enough to counter and score right when he needs to. Because, Ryan, yeah. you spoke to your Prohaska style, causing him some confusion. That was in the second round. He looked a little bit confused. He looked worried. He looked like he got hurt. But as in when he's yeah. hurt, he's still so dangerous. And when Yuri had him hurt, he went to try to finish, and Alexis was able to find that shot that put him down. The guy is just phenomenal. He's one of the nicest people you know. He's one of the best fighters we've seen in a long time. And he has done something that no one else has ever done in the UFC. Win two championships in two years. Two years. He made his debut in Madison Square Garden two years ago with a double jump and need a win. Two years later, he has been the middleweight champ, lost the middleweight championship, earned a UFC light heavyweight title shot, won the UFC light heavyweight title. It's unreal, and I don't think it'll ever be done again, especially in this time frame. Okay, DC, I'm gonna I'm gonna change this show. Right now, this show is not the DC and RC show. It's the RC UFC interview show. So I have two questions for you that I need you <laughs> to answer. All right, here's the first one. Okay. With uh, with Alex Pereira's dominance over Yuri Prochaska and us and getting an opportunity to see him withstand the grappling of Jan Bohovitz, right? What he did to Sean yep. Strickland. Are we underestimating? what Israel Adesanya was able to accomplish in regaining oh. the belt from Pereira. Can I say something, bro? One of the first things I said after the fight to our group message and another group message I'm in, how did Izzy beat this dude? That, that, when you ask that type of question about someone who is as great as Adesanya, you know how good the person is that he beat. I said, how did he beat him? Because when you watch him fight, he doesn't leave holes. I think we under we don't put enough value in that win. We don't put enough value in the fact that Izzy was able to find that shot that finished him two times. He did it in the first fight where he hurt him bad, and then he did it in the second fight to finish the fight. So, yes, we, do, we should value it more. But make no mistake about it. He was winning that fight against Edesanya. Even the second fight, he looked better than he did in the first fight against Edesanya, and Izzy caught him to knock him out. So over the course of their four times, Izzy found a lot of success early in kickboxing and got finished. Alex found a lot of success early in the last fight and got finished. So it's just two really uh, master strategists, master strikers that find ways to end the fight. But to answer your question, yes, we do need to put more respect on yeah. Izzy's win over Alex Pereira. You know, and also when you look at what, Alex Pereira was able to accomplish, he now gets an opportunity to grab the microphone in the octagon and sort of call his shot, even though people thought Jamal Hill would be the next opponent or the next contender for the championship. But DC, based on his call out, I feel like there was someone who may or may not have a UFC show who predicted this. My prediction is Alex Pereira beats Yuri Prohaska Oh, I forgot about Pereira. Right? He he beats. He's Yuri. not fighting Izzy again, bro. And him and Izzy and <laughs> Izzy right and Izzy comes oh, out of fantasy match. full retirement. <laughs> Izzy comes back and fights Alex Pereira at UFC 300 at 205 for the That's belt. And here's the tweet. It said, oh my God. "Let it go, 
Let it go. Hey, he said, hey, you know my dog oh, said my he will leave you frozen like Elsa. Israel Adesanya said, let it go. So it seems like you are correct. They probably aren't fighting. But DC, did I or did I not say that this would be a fight or at least something we were talking about for UFC 300? I am telling you, Alex Pereira doesn't want to be the UFC champion. He doesn't. He, he wants, wants to, to haunt Israel Adesanya the rest of his life. If Israel Adesanya goes to a dance party when he's 54, Alex Pereira is going to be there. If Israel Adesanya has some, if Israel Adesanya has kids, right at the kids' christening, guess who's going to be the priest? Alex Pereira. If Israel Adesanya does anything for the, hey, bet this. When Israel Adesanya goes into the UFC Hall of Fame, guess who else is going to be in that class? Alex Pereira. They are Alex. never. Al Man. Alex is not going to ever let Izzy do anything that he's not involved in. When you hear that call out after winning the belt at 205, what does that say about Alex Pereira's feelings about Israel Adesanya? He doesn't like him at all. And it tells me, honestly, the rivalry means more to him than all of his accomplishments. Because yeah. Izzy's down right now, right? Izzy just lost the belt. He said he's walking away. Izzy's down. But Alex is trying to make him back relevant in the title picture because he just wants to fight him. Look, Alex doesn't talk English, but he can't say Adesanya, Adesanya, come to daddy. That's the only thing he says in English. Dude don't speak a lick of English, but he knows Izzy's name. But I feel by doing that, he gives Izzy power. Izzy doesn't have the power now. When he was the guy in the bar watching that Asanya from afar, Izzy had yeah. all the power. He had all the juice. But by calling him out, he's at home on his couch chilling. Izzy starts smiling and says, let it go. I'm going golfing. Like, he can play him that way. And guess what? If I'm at Asanya RC, I'm playing it that way because guess why? Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma the other day. We have played yep. the Bedlam rivalry 120 times. We have lost to these dudes 97 times. We've won, what, 20? <laughs> Dog, we've that won 20. You... We have won 20. It's not a rivalry, <laughs> bro. Them dudes just beat on us every single year. And we won the last <laughs> one. And they're going to the SEC. If I'm the Oklahoma Board of Regents, Oklahoma State, I'm never playing them again because I got the last one. <laughs> You're going to keep your one win? with LSU <laughs> and Alabama. Man, I'm taking that, and that's just what Izzy should do. Izzy should say, you know what? No. I know that it's that bad for you. So you're going to have to live with that one. You got to eat that one for the rest of your life. I don't care what you accomplish. You never get a chance to get it back. I don't know if Izzy has that ability, but you and I both know Edesanya's petty. He made fun of the man's children. So if he's that petty, he's going to be okay sitting there and going, nope, you might have won three, but I got the last one. Live with I'm gonna it. Say Defend this. your belt. I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to say this, though, too, DC. As dominant as Alex has been, I think it says a lot about the, how much he respects Israel Adesanya as a fighter as well. How much he knows that that dude, every time they stand across from one another, is prepared to die in hopes of beating him because they've done it four, time and you're, four times, and you're right. He's won three of them, but they were all battles that Israel Adesanya was absolutely game for. I thought it was a cool call-out. I yeah. thought somebody missed the call-out. Uh, uh, early on RC. in the night, but we're about to bring in the king yeah. of call-outs, and that's yeah, Uncle yeah, Chell. Yeah. There he is. <laughs> Uncle Chell. 
Chael Sonnen. We're what's up, to, my guy? Hey, what's you doing, up, What's happening, guys? Can I respond to that? You know, I loved the call, and I think that Pierre might have even said for UFC 300, but there was also something that, that kind of disappointed me. RC, before you had Daniel Cormier and Stipe, or Daniel and John Jones, you had Daniel and a young man named Kale Sanderson. This was in dual meets in front of nobody. This was on ESPN in front of the entire world. I don't bring that up to embarrass Daniel. I bring that up to celebrate. These were great memories. These guys went on. They shuffled weight classes. They went on to be Olympic teammates together. I would kind of like that celebration between Piera and Izzy. At some point, I kind of like a shaking of the hands and bygones are bygones and go tell the story mm. someday. Uh, you know, at your local bar having some peanuts. I kind of disappointed me, to be fair. <laughs> really? <laughs> Chill. I actually can't believe that. <laughs> I thought you would have loved it. Yeah. You're, the, you're the king of the call out. You love a little pettiness. You don't like the fact that Alex on his night where he becomes the two division champ, he's going back to the one dude that has bragging rights over him in the UFC. I most certainly do from a competitive standpoint, not to mention they have a common opponent, which is Jan Blachowicz. Like, this story really tells itself. I just thought they moved on. As a matter of fact, I bring up Daniel and Kale Sanderson. One of the ways they smoothed this, they changed weights and found a way to work together. I thought that's what Piera was doing when he changed weights, kind of saying, all right, Izzy, have your fun. I'll go up here. We'll both be great. So when Piera pulled them back in, yeah, you know what? I kind of thought, guys, you got to let this go. I love the competitor in them. I think that's how they both got to this point. I thought the Elsa reference was wonderful. It was Halloween a week ago. My daughter went as <laughs> Elsa, so I got the reference better than most people. But I'd like to see these guys make up, in fairness. Chill, let me say this. You watch these two guys, and you see Alex almost elevate Izzy on a night where, like, Izzy's down right now. But Izzy did win the last one. Chill. If you're at Asanya, are you happy that he's calling your name, but you're never giving him another? If I ever beat Kale Sanderson, regardless of how many times he beat me, I would never wrestle Kale again. He would have to live with that loss for the rest of his life. If you're Izzy, are you fighting him again? No, and see, I mean, that is the part, fellas, <laughs> that is so cool about a competitor. Like, what drives these guys? What gets them up? How do they have this curse? Alex Piera is an amateur. If you look at his record, he's had uh, 10 fights. If I'm wrong, it's 11. But he's also had two main events at Madison Square Garden, two different championships in between. He's beaten other world champions. He's guaranteed a spot in the Hall of Fame. Alex Piera, I'm not sure, is any better today than the day he debuted. And I know that could be debated, but I think you'll agree that it's at least close. He might have been able to win the world title on his debut. He largely did to us what Francis Ngannou just did to boxing. Pierre was largely mm. first. He wasn't given the chance to fight for the belt. But if you went back and told me he could, he could have definitely won it on his first night. Yeah, and that's what's amazing about what he's done in such a short time in the UFC. He was explosive from the minute we saw him. I mean, Joe Rogan almost bust the neck out of his black button-up on that flying knee, so I think <laughs> you're absolutely right. But, Chell, earlier on that night, Tom Aspinall had one of those moments that announces to the world, I'm him. And he knocks out Sergey Pavlovich in the first round. And I felt like, and I think many people felt, he had an opportunity to say, John Jones, it's me and you. We're the two what best in the world. Do you feel he missed an opportunity by not calling out Jones when he had the chance? 
I think he was following the script. I mean, the, what we were told a week ago is kind of a tough riddle. We're told we're going to have an interim champion, which means we're going to have a healthy and willing interim title holder that's going to sit ringside and watch Stipe and John Jones fight for an undisputed belt 10 months from now. Look, we fiercely adhere to whatever rules we make up on the spot in this sport. But one thing we do know about interim titles is if the undisputed champ returns, you guys fight. Then, RC, get a little of this. We're even told... That John Jones and Dan uh, and and Steve whoever wins, they're both going to retire. So imagine you're Tom yeah. Aspinall in the front row. You wait for the interview. As soon as the words <laughs> "I'm retired" come out of your mouth, you're now elevated to undisputed champion without throwing a punch. I think it's hard. Do you want to know something, though, RC? You want to know who does have the power and who this is really on? Who's a veteran that isn't caught in his first big moment? John Jones. John Jones mm. has the power to push everything aside and deal with Tom. All I wish John right now is well. He's dealing with an injury. We want him to get that better on a human level. But when you do talk about whose call out can really move the needle right now, it's Jones yeah. calling out Tom. Yeah. I, I don't, and I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think he's going to do that. He said, Tom, congratulations on the interim title. That was an awesome performance. Chill. As I look at Jones's tweet, that seems to be the overwhelming thought now is that Tom Aspinall looked uh, amazing. He beat Sergey Pavlovich in a round, less than a round. He's beaten everybody in less than a round. You and I were sitting doing a thing last weekend for one of our sponsors, and we got to talking about Michael Bispitt, who is one of our friends, and he's a guy that is very open. We all talk for a living, but he is very guarded with his, uh, with his praise. Last week, he goes crazy with his praise, talking about Tom. is going to be the greatest heavyweight of all time. After watching that last Saturday, does it, be, does it appear more right to you that this could be the case and that Michael Bisbing was not living a gimmick? He was telling us the truth. Michael Bisping does not spare the lash, Daniel. He is not big on complimenting other people. I'm friends with Michael Bisping, and I've never been complimented by him. So, yeah, it did mean something to me when he was doing this. Now, I do think one person that was surprised, surprised with all the success of Tom, it does appear to be Tom. He seems to be a pretty humble guy. One thing that yeah. can bite a guy is when he doesn't deal with adversity, he finds himself in a fight that's harder than he's used to being in. So some of these knockouts could be a problem. One thing about John Jones, he gets credited for being so good and so technical. John Jones is a tough SOB. That People don't understand yeah. that about him. Yes, I thought him he had his bones sticking through his foot. He wrapped it up in the back just to go to the press conference and told the ambulance, you can wait for me. That dude is a legit tough guy. I think Tom is excellent. I think he's a wonderful fighter. Showing that grit, you're having a different conversation. You know, you look at what you, the sort of layout you gave us, right? We're going to see Stipe and John Jones. A guy like Tom Aspinall could be sitting cage side and be elevated to be the heavyweight champion. When you look at Tom Aspinall and who he is, and you spoke about some of that adversity, the skill set, though, Chell, being light on your feet, having that sort of power, being able to grapple, does Tom Aspinall have what it take, takes to be one of those long-reigning champs that we, we may one day call the greatest heavyweight of all time? 
He sure appears to. The one guy that I just don't know knows it is Tom. Look, maybe this is his personality, and being humble serves him best. But the last time he spoke about John Jones, he said, I'm not ready for him. In fact, it was two fights ago. It was about 18 months ago. But Tom's exact quote was, before I talk about Jones, I need three more fights. I'm not ready for him. I think Tom is better than Tom knew he was. Let me tell you a real quick story. I never met Tom. So he comes up on the set of ESPN. He does his piece with Brett Okamoto. I'm off to the side. I start visiting with his father, who was also the head corner man, head trainer, laid out the game plan. I said, hey, are you guys out here alone or is your wife, meaning Tom's mother, is she here? I never met the man. He says, well, he pulls his phone out, says Tom's mom's at home. She's too nervous to watch him, so she's in bed. I said, you mean she's in bed watching the pay-per-view or she was relaxed enough to sleep? He said, no, she's awake. And he shows me their conversation. The father sent Mrs. Aspinall a message and all it said is, the lad done good tonight. She wrote back. <laughs> she wrote back. He always does. And you know that emoji that's like Z. And she went back to sleep. Now, I turned, wow. I couldn't believe this. This was a great moment that the father shared this with. I even said to him, sir, is this private or can I talk about it? He said, you can talk about it. I then start talking with one of his cornermen. The cousin is a nutritionist. All the cornermen are good buddies that have been there from the beginning. One of the corner tells me the only thing Tom's better at than fighting is being a father. I said, why do you say that? That's the biggest compliment you can give a man. Why did you just say that to me? We just met. He said he has three children. One has special needs. He said the wife is not here because they could not find what they deemed as parents adequate health care. So she stayed home. She missed the trip. She missed the moment. She missed the spotlight to be with their children. That meant something wow. to me. I know I'm off course, but I wanted you guys in the whole world no, to hear perfect. that. That's amazing. Well, that's, that's actually... That's actually one of the things about Tom Aspinall that stands out to most. And that's why people are drawn to him. He's a special type of human being. And it sounds like his wife is too and his entire family. But you're talking about a, a, a father who gave up everything to train his kid for that night jail. So that reaction doesn't surprise me. The lad done good. Because when you train your son from eight to be the champion of the world, a lot of times... Your kid becomes the champion of the world. We have seen it from time and time again. Chill from Kerry Colad in wrestling to some of the other great wrestlers we have seen before. When the father makes that sacrifice, that's what happens. But let me ask you this. I was sitting with Mick Maynard the other day, and I said, what's next for Tom? Do you blow up the fight between Stipe and Jones, or does this guy mm. fight again? Do you see a world where Tom Aspinall fights one of those guys, Chill, or do you believe that we have our first time where someone defends the interim championship. Well, I'll tell you this. A little bit of a false narrative is that John Jones is scared to fight the next crew. Now, one week ago, it wasn't Tom. The big boogie monster on our chat boards, Daniel, was that, that John Jones would not fight Sergi. That's the one to beat him. Well, one week before that, it was John Jones will not fight Francis Ngannou. Now, today, it's John Jones won't fight Aspinall. I got to defend John on this because when Sergi was the backup fighter, John Jones told Dana White, I'll fight Stipe as planned. If something happens to him, I will fight Pavlovich. So it's not a matter of if John's willing to do it. He already agreed to do it. And I just bring that to you because the same thing goes for Stipe. Stipe already agreed to beat Pavlich. 
the organization elected to hold both of those guys, Jones and, and, and Stipe, out. So I think in Tom's role, he really needs to get busy, really needs to go call for a fight. Surreal Gunn, of course, tried to get dibs on this, and I can't blame him. But to remind you, Tom Aspinall flew all the way to Paris, sat in the front row to get called out by Surreal. When Surreal had that mic and he had the opportunity to share the fame, he took it from Tom, made Tom go back to the airport and fly home with no interview. Tom ought to take it from him. He ought to sit and check some of his options. I don't hate the idea of Tom versus Stipe. I don't know why nobody's suggesting it. I don't know why they didn't offer Stipe that fight to begin with, or maybe they did. I asked Tom, I said, Tom, did they offer Stipe the fight? He goes, yes, they wanted no part of it. Or, or oh, Sergey mm. said that. Sorry, it was Sergey said that they did offer the fight to Miocic, and uh, Stipe turned it down. Stipe wants the Jones fight. What's something that works so well that it's basically magic? Air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, meeting-free Fridays. Well, what about selling with Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch at your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-order stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autograph apparel are selling sleek skis. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort Thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash DCRC. All lowercase, go to shopify.com slash DCRC now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash DCRC. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chill. I'm going to kind of, the producer tell me to do something. I'm going somewhere different. You said you want to see guys wash their hands and be friends. Are you ready to wash your hands and be friends with Jorge Masvidal? Because Jorge Masvidal <laughs> came at you last weekend. <laughs> and you, I mean, chill, I don't get it. I don't get it, Uncle Chill. I'm not. And can I shoot with you? He hurt my feelings. That came out of nowhere. He said <laughs> terrible things about me, guys. But you want to know the bad news? They were all true. He didn't go lie about me. It's the truth that hurts. And this guy known me 17 years. Like, he really knows how to stick it to me. And I was kind of trying to show him the playful side. He challenged me to a fight. I said, were you going to kick me with the – are you allowed to kick with the leg that's got the ankle monitor? Are they going to give you a, a juice box from prison between rounds or a water bottle? That's playful. He doesn't have an ankle monitor. He, he's not in prison. These are jokes. He was telling the truth about me. That hurts. <laughs> hey, hey, nothing, nothing stings like the truth, Chell. I already know what you're saying, my boy. Listen, you tweeted out your UFC 300 predictions. You want to tell us a little bit about the card you have? Now, I must tell you, I got this from a guy named Tommy in the Bronx, and he's a source that I go to, and Tommy's pretty solid. He's extremely solid on anything to do with the Diaz boys. And I just said, Tommy, can I put this out? I'm not going to I'm just going to put it out and see how people respond. I'll tell you guys what. One of the big fights, and I don't think we're going to do a spoof. So many people think when they hear 300 that this is one of the times that Dana's willing to have fun, like, say, bringing Ronda back or bringing Lesnar back. If you wanted to just have fun, you'd book Masvidal against Gaethje and you put up the BMFL. I just don't think that's the direction Dana's going to go in. Dana White is very disciplined that he never does a match unless the outcome has a potential meaning. So I don't think we're going to do any kind of spoofs. I think we're still looking at it. I do think there's a very good reason that uh, Sean is being turned around so quickly against DDP. I think that they would uh, like to see Adesanya come back, and whether that's a rematch with Strickland or that's DDP, DDP versus... Uh, Adesanya was so hot, it was melting airwaves. They yes. brought in Africa. Yes. One guy Can was white, one guy was black. Media didn't even know how to touch this. This thing was so uncomfortable, hey. but everybody yeah. wanted a little bit more of it. I think they'll try to rehance yeah. that feud if possible. They missed, they missed the boat a little bit on that one, Uncle Chill. That was one that needed to happen, and it'll happen at some point. I got to be honest, though. That UFC 300 card, let's call it underwhelming. I would, Chill, I might not even buy the pay-per-view. And, I mean, I'm sitting at the Octagon side right there for that one. That's because you get it for free. I'm not trying to watch. That's because you're I'm not there. trying to watch you, Marab. You get paid and, to be I'm there. not trying to watch Marab, Marab and Henry Cejudo on the main card of UFC 300. While it's a great fight, that's not one of those. We need bigger fights, especially when 200 had the fights that they had and 100 had the fights that they had. Yeah, chill. I'm going to a little disagree there. We're going to bring a spoof fight. Somebody's coming back. We might wheel Brock Lesnar out there after all of his WWE <laughs> success. But somebody got to be out there. Chill. Thank you for joining us, man, as always. Thank you, Uncle You chill. are a friend of the show, and we appreciate your time, brother. We appreciate you. I've had it with you both. RC. Goodbye. 
<laughs> RC, he's the best. He's the best, RC. I love him. Let me ask you this, though, RC. What should they do at heavyweight? Like, what is the right answer to how they should handle the heavyweight division? Does Jones say, you know what, man? I'm not fighting Miocic for legacy. I'll go fight the kid. You know what's, what's funny, DC, is I had a thought, and I'm going to ask you this thought, and it may be stupid. Before the fight, Sergey Pavlovich seemed extremely dangerous and scary. It almost seemed that now yes. since Francis Ngannou was gone, that that was the scariest man in the heavyweight division. I'm not saying the best fighter. I'm saying the scariest man. And so when if you did offer Stipe that fight, I think at that time it seemed like, holy hell, I don't really want that fight. I don't want Sergey. Here is what I would do. I would have to think that Stipe thinks or believes he could beat Tom Aspinall. I would think Tom Aspinall, even though he has this great record and he has this amazing finish, I don't think people fear him in that way. I'd make Stipe Miocic, Tom, Tom Aspinall, while John Jones is recovering. And your hope there, and I don't even think it matters, your hope would be that Tom Aspinall wins that fight and that says to the rest of the world, this guy is the real deal. And so he fights John Jones when he comes back. And one of two things happen. John Jones cements himself, and I think he's already there, cements himself as the GOAT. It's no argument, right? I think it's, uh, it's him and Habib Namorgamedov right now. He wins that fight over Tom Aspinall. We have no more questions. And he could ride off into the sunset, or he could defend his belt if he wanted to. If Tom Aspinall beats Stipe and beats John Jones, you have one of two things that happen. They have a rematch, which everybody in the world would want to see, or you have an undisputed, unquestioned heavyweight champion of the world. And that's what the UFC needs in that division again. You know what's crazy is like that would be – so you got a lot of jobs – the one I didn't know you had was Tom Aspinall's manager or some part of Tom Aspinall's team. Because that's just ideal for Tom you. Aspinall. Like, to get, <laughs> to get to be able to fight the greatest heavyweight of all time with the chance to win. And if you beat him, you fight who may be the greatest heavyweight of all time. Yeah, Ryan, that is, that is you being Tom Aspinall's business advisor. But the reality is that won't happen. That's not, I, that's not something that you think these guys would um, agree to. I don't believe that Stipe says, yeah, I'm going to go and fight this guy who is the interim champ, he's dangerous, he's tough, and give away a fight in John Jones where you know That's you get money more fight. money. You, yep. when you, yeah, when you fight John Jones, you get more money, bro. And it's yep. like, why would Stipe at 41 risk that to fight Tom Aspinall? I don't think it happens. I think Tom Aspinall is going to have to wait and see. And again, he was injured. Right, that that's probably what was most impressive is that he said the moment he got the fight, I'm he got back. excited, so he started training really hard, and he tore a muscle in his back. So this guy wasn't even healthy going into the octagon last weekend. He's a stud. He's a savage. Every word well, you can use to describe a great fighter is what Tom Aspinall is. Well, all that happens there, DC, is you got to hope this. You got to hope that Dana White has a conversation with John Jones and Steve Miocic and says. Hey, guys, whichever one of you wins, please don't retire. Don't retire. Give me one more fight. I'll break the bank for that one more fight, 
and you get an opportunity to fight Tom Aspinall where they could there could be some passing of the torch to where we really feel yes. we have a heavyweight champion we want to get behind. But that 30 years of the RC, UFC. Wait, one real quick, that okay. would suck. Yep. That would suck, RC. That the only that that would be ideal because just like professional wrestling, right? When you're ready to lose and retire, you get pinned by the next guy to carry the torch. Yes. In fighting, yes. it doesn't always work out that way, right? Jones could fight Aspinall and beat him and still retire with the belt. So then it's not yeah. ideal. But at least you get the opportunity. But if they fight mm -hmm. each other, Miocic and Jones, and whoever wins, and they just kind of walk away, there will always be that lingering thought or question, is this guy the real champ? Yep. Well, DC, it's 30 years of the UFC. We're coming up on UFC 300. So we are about to have our UFC 30 draft. Corporate Jake, what are the rules? All right, guys, pretty simple. We'll draft from the UFC's first 30 years, five picks each, okay. snake draft. So RC will go first, then Daniel, you have second and third pick, and we'll go until everybody has five picks each. So RC, who is your first okay, pick? Okay, let's do it. Yeah, so with my first pick of the UFC 30 draft, I draft Habib Nurmagomedov. That is my number wow. one pick, 29-0. I am going with the Eagle. All right, DC, you're up. Are we picking on merit or business, right? Because I thought for hey. sure you was going to take Conor McGregor. I thought you were going to hey, take man. Conor McGregor, man. I just, I don't know. Hey, DC, All right, with my DC first can I pick, be honest? Go ahead. I'm picking off of pettiness. I'm picking off of pettiness because I know you'd want him, so I just took him. Yeah, if I'm being yeah, honest. Yeah. I didn't even want him on my team. I, I just took him so you don't get him. <laughs> I wanted Habib, man. I wanted Habib. Damn, man. All right. With my first pick in my draft, I am going to take Israel Adesanya. I'm taking Israel Adesanya. Okay. I'm taking Israel Adesanya because he's a long, he was a long-reigning champion and he sold pay-per-view, so he's about as safe as they come in terms of business and fighting. Okay. My second pick. You got another pick. Is going to be George, George St. Pierre. I'm taking George St. Pierre, who I believe, right next to Habib, is the greatest fighter of all time. So I'm taking GSP. Okay, all right. So at number two, I'm going John Jones. I'm going John Jones at number two. Got to give me, I think he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. He got some stuff with him. He got some stuff with him that keeps him from being the greatest. <laughs> but you cannot knock what this man was able to do in the octagon and that level of skill. At number three, I'm taking Conor McGregor. I'm taking Conor McGregor for the same reason, DC, you talked about Israel Adesanya. This man is a double champ. He was lightning in the bottle. And from a business standpoint, there's no one that's been better in the game than he has. Yeah, my third pick, I am going to take Anderson Silva. Because what Ooh, Anderson Silva pick. was to his time was unbelievable. He was a long-reigning middleweight champion. He still holds the record for most consecutive wins to start a UFC career. So I am taking with my third pick, Anderson Silva. At number four, my fourth pick, Fighting out of San Jose, California, by way of Lafayette, Louisiana. I am taking Daniel Cormier. Because when you're the double champ, the double champ gets chosen in the top ten fighters. I am honestly picking my list, uh, RC, 
based on a list that was just released for the top 30 fighters of all time. So that's where <laughs> I was, like right in this range here, number six or seven. So that's where I'm picking myself. Okay, at no, so I'm on my fourth, right? At number yep. four, I'm going with Amanda Nunes. I, I, I know that sometimes we get caught up in what the men can do in this sport. There has been no more dominant champion than what Amanda Nunes was in her fighting career. She's retired now, and when she walked away, she walked away to me as the GOAT of all women's mixed martial arts. Now, this is a hard one. Okay. Number five. Mm. Number five. Done after Number that. five. I don't like Choose I don't wisely. like this one, DC. Uh and number five, and I know like to everybody else, this guy, the way he ended his career, his reign at champion wasn't long enough. At number five, though, I'm gonna take the guy who made me fall in love with mixed martial arts in the UFC, and that's Chuck Liddell. Watching Chuck Liddell on those UFC greatest knockout CDs and DVDs you could buy from Best Buy is what got me into it, bro. Sitting at home, watching Spike TV and seeing him fight against Randy Couture and watching him fight, you know, Tito Ortiz. Like, this was the dude that I said he is absolutely out of his freaking mind to walk in here with these long skinny arms, this big old belly, this wild fighting Scott style, and really just be a part of what made you love the sport. Yeah, it's a tremendous pick. Chuck Liddell meant so much to the mixed martial arts community, and he still does today. My fifth and final pick, he's a small guy, but he was amazing, bro. This guy has the record for most title defenses at 125 pounds. I don't think it'll ever get touched. I'm taking Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Yep. Demetrius Mighty Mouse that. Johnson may be the most talented mixed martial artist I have ever seen in terms of pure skill, in terms of just his ability to learn, his ability to improvise. Do you remember when he took that kid from New Mexico, threw him up in the air, and armbarred him on the way down? Yes. Demetrius the Johnson used to get a lot of in... flack. <laughs> the coldest move <laughs> ever, bro. <laughs> He threw him up ever. and armbarred him on the way down. He called it the mousetrap, son. He called it the mousetrap. His name is Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. So while he was just real good, he still was also kind of cool. Like, bro, yeah. he got a lot of flack for not finishing, and he finished a lot of fighters. It was Ray Borg is who he did that to. Threw him up in the air, yeah. armbarred him on the way down. He's one of the best mixed martial artists of all time. So I put him on my top five list. DC, that's a good list, man. Normally, I look at your list, and mm. I say that they're terrible. Uh, obviously, I picked my first round uh, pick purely off of pettiness and being messy, and I'm comfortable <laughs> with this. I like my list. My list is great. Your list is great as well. I thought to go Ronda Rousey at four over mm -hmm. Amanda Nunes, but when I look at Amanda Nunes' greatness, Amanda Nunes actually beating Ronda Rousey, Amanda Nunes beating Holly Holm. More importantly, Amanda Nunes beating Cyborg. She was absolutely dominant yeah. in her career. That's why I went with her. And Chuck Liddell made me fall in love with the sport. So there was no way I was leaving him off my list. Emotional investment in the people means a lot to you. That's one of your terms right now. You should make a T-shirt that says, Emotional investment. Emotional investment. <laughs> you got a lot yeah, of emotional investment in my bank really account, too. To you. Yeah, absolutely. You got a lot of assets. Absolutely. It's time, Jake, Corporate Jake. Let's, Let's get go. it. 
All right, guys, following his massive head kick KO win over Matt Frivola, who DC called Corn Roller during the walkout, Benoit Saint-Denis called out the likes of Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier. DC, tap in or tap out on Saint-Denis calling out top five lightweights. I love it. I love that he tried, but it ain't nothing but a pipe dream. He's not going to get neither of those dream. dudes. Them dudes looking at Benoit Saint-Denis going, I ain't fighting this dude, man, because there's just no benefit to it right now. That's no. why you see so many guys fighting between each other. It was crazy to see Justin Gaethje give Fazeev the chance because nobody else would have. So if he does have a chance to get one of them, it's Justin Gaethje because he's a psychopath and he'll fight anyone. But I don't think he really gets any uh, traction on that call-out. But great call-out. Now, yeah, I, I tap out on this. I mean, the, the, the head kick was crazy. You know, you catch your opponent floating away from you. You throw it at the right time, catch him, knock him out. Thought it was beautiful. That don't get you Poirier. That don't get you Justin <laughs> Gaethje. He's going to have to wait a while for that. And by the time he gets to that point, I don't even know if these dudes going to even be tripping about fighting. Corporate Jake, what's up? Guys, Tony Ferguson has called upon former Navy SEAL and marathon runner David Goggins to help train him ahead of UFC that. 296. The videos are quite intense. So, RC, tap in or tap out on Ferguson's call for help to Goggins. You know what? I tap in on it for this. Like, turn over every stone. Tony Ferguson understands that he yeah. is closer to the end than the beginning. If you listen to David Goggins or ever read any of his books, you know the way that he focuses on being mentally tough. And Tony Ferguson is a guy that's already told you what he can do physically and showed you that. Now it's about finding that extra edge. And if he feels having David Goggins not only in his training camp, but in his ear constantly makes him a stronger, better man and better fighter, I'm all for it. I tap in on making sure you leave no stone unturned. Great call by the former interim champion. He wants to try to see if it's going to change something for him. He's going to be in shape, but I don't know that the fatigue of our cardio is going to be the issue. That's not what's wrong with Tony Ferguson. Right. It's not that he's not preparing himself right. It's just other things, other reasons are why he's losing. And I don't know if David Goggins is going to be able to change that because, dude, the the the, the weathering and the, 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 the beatings that you take in that octagon can't be fixed just by mental approach and yeah. working harder in the gym. It just takes something a little bit more. And also, I worry. You know, Goggins, is he works so hard. He don't care how you feel, and he's going to make you work. I hope he doesn't beat yeah. Tony down and overtrain him. Corporate Jake. Now ranked number seven following his win over Derek Lewis, Jalton Almeida called out former interim champ Surreal Gan for a heavyweight contention bout. DC, tap in or tap out on Almeida versus Gan. I tap in on the fight, but again, if I'm Surreal Gan, I'm not doing that. I am not fighting Jailton Almeida, especially after I saw him take Derek Lewis down 20 times over the course of five right. rounds. Surreal Gan is Surreal yeah. is in a very unique position right now. If Tom Aspinall is the champion, he's a striker. Surreal has a real opportunity to go fight another striker. Don't fight a guy that's gonna take you down over and over again. A tapping on the fight, yep. I don't think it'll happen. I tap in on the fight. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Surreal gone give a guy like Jaoten Almeida a chance, but he ain't doing that because there's no benefit to it. <laughs> there's no benefit to him. Like you just heard DC say that Justin Gaethje gave Rafael Faziv a chance, and people were surprised about that because fighting down doesn't help you win championships, especially when stylistically it's not a great matchup for you. So I tap out on this from a Surreal gone standpoint, but I'd love to see the fight. 
I guess over the weekend, Dana White officially announced that he has booked the Las Vegas Sphere for the UFC Mexican Independence card next September. RC, tap in or tap out of the UFC in the Sphere. I tap in on it, but didn't the Spear lose like seven billion dollars in like a month or something like that? <laughs> I can't, I can't get like fired for giving you misinformation numerically. I tap in on it because the one thing Dana White has always done is push the envelope, continue to try to make this brand bigger, better, and different from other things. And so I tap all the way in on this. What could be more Las Vegas right now than fighting in the Sphere? I tap in on it because Dana White loves challenges, and that's going to challenge him. He's not only going to get challenged trying to put on a show, but by some of the big promises he's making. He said, I'm going to put on the greatest martial arts show of all time. That is pressure. And if I know Dana, he loves pressure and he loves challenges. So I'm excited to see what they could do inside the sphere. But could you imagine, RC, when these fighters walk out, if their home countries, our home states, yeah. are just floating around the sphere as they're walking out, yeah, it's going to be sick. All right, guys, lastly, we've shown tag team MMA on this show, but let's up the stakes. How about 3v3? RC, tap in or tap out 3v3 MMA, and who would your team be? So it's you plus two other people. First off, I tap out. Here's why I tap out. You're not finna club punch me, homie. Like, that's, that's not dude. skill. It don't take skill for me to be mixing with this dude and then get a, a bomb upside yep, the head. Yep, yep, I've, dude, been, yep. I've been in fights in Tigerland. That's not cool. And my team would be Daniel Cormier, right? Mm. And number three would be Steven Seagal or that security guard guy, the black dude, <laughs> that teach everybody self-defense. That, that, that would be my team. RC. I want people that go, like, grab fingers and stuff and, like... <laughs> RC, run that clip back. That reminds me of Club Strawberries. There's this club called Strawberries oh, back in Lafayette when I was growing up. <laughs> we used to get down in there. But that's how the fights look. You can't fight in a three-on-three -three fight. And look at that brother with the red hair. That brother big, he looked like he just wanted to punch somebody upside the head. But then what I like most about him is he a little fat, but he don't care. He's sexy, and he knows it. Watch him dance on him. Big boy, you go start a fight. After winning the fight, then you dance on it. Look at that. Also, Let all that shake, do big you just boy. Have to, do you just have to tap out? You had to just tap out one guy or knock out one guy? Because everybody else was still fighting. Is that how it works? It's just and a two, You talk about my man, Body. He didn't got his appendix taken out. He got a scar on his stomach. Man, what type of, what type of people RC, are we getting inside I, the cage? Hey, RC, can I say something, RC? You and I were talking last week at Inside the NFL – and we spoke about being important or pretending to be important. And if you pretend enough, you might get some unique opportunities. You're not smart because you pretend to be smart. You're a smart guy and you're involved in a lot. But last week you went to the White House, right? What did you do there? Well, we went there to talk about college athletics, uh, mainly college football and NIL, being that the NCAA has been meeting with the president and his staff. And we also talked about the working condition and conditions and the health conditions of some of these college students, whether it be mentally or physically once they leave college and now they're on their own. I thought it was great conversation. I thought they listened. I thought they asked the right questions. And I'm going to be honest, DC, I'm not a political guy. Right. And I'm not a historian. I'm sort of one of those dudes that's from the West Bank of New Orleans. And it's like you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit. 
But when you're in some of these rooms in the White House, because we got an opportunity to take a tour, and they say, you know, most people see it as a museum. You're going to get to see it as a house. And they're walking you into these different rooms, and they're telling you the stories of how these rooms came to be this color, why this china is in this room, what this wallpaper is, where or what happens on the lawn. And you get an actual opportunity to go in the Oval Office, where we probably spent 10 to 15 minutes talking to the president and president and him giving us stories about why the furniture was chosen, why a picture was chosen, why a bust was chosen. Like it gives you such a respect for history, such a respect for the history of this country. And nah, man, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect country. But yeah. when you think about those that have come before you and laid some of the foundations. So me and you, bro, me as a black man, you as a black man, could get an opportunity to sit on this show and talk about a sport that, that we love and get paid to do it, right? Get paid to do it, to have those freedoms from where people have come from. It was one of those great experiences. And I hope in having those conversations with the president and his staff about not just controlling NIL, but allowing these players, these young student athletes, to continue to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, no matter who they are, to where it's not just the top guys who get an opportunity to benefit. It's the 85th guy on the scholarship roster who has put in just as much work weekly and daily to be a part of that team. You know, I, I, I've been to the White House, but um, I went to the Senate, and the most impressive room to me is that wrestling room they got in the basement. They got a wrestling room in the basement, dog, of the, of Bro, the Capitol building. It's crazy. They got Only a wrestling you. room. And RC, RC, I love wrestling. So, hey, look at me. Look at me, RC, and look at my boys. Look I at what came you. out yesterday. Let's I go. I mean, look at that. The National Let's High School go, team DC. records came out last week night. And look at them, RC. Look at little Gilroy. In the top 10 to yeah. start the year. How about that, RC? How about that? DC, year congrats, five. bro. How happy are you for those kids, man, and for those young men that they get an opportunity to know that they've worked this hard and now their work is paying off? I mean, it's amazing, right, from all the college scholarships to now being recognized as one of the top 10 teams in the entire United States is, is unbelievable. Big goals coming for this year, a lot of work to be done. But it's amazing whenever the works. Hey, year five is starting, RC. Year five is starting right now. Or year six, we lost the COVID year. But year six, from where we started, 18 kids on the roster to now we have 62 kids on our wrestling wow. roster. Look at Gilroy in the top 10 and living among the best in the country. Congratulations to all the kids. Now let's get to work, RC. Well, D.C., y'all remember now, D.C. and R.C., every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast, 12 a.m. midnight on ESPN2 as well. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Madison Square Garden was rocking. D.C. was killing it. My boy was all over the place. <laughs> and all he said was he had Alicia Keys theme music following him everywhere that he goes. Catch us next week. We love y'all.